This is Pete Moore on Halo Talks NYC. I have the pleasure of having Dan Millman hailing from Brooklyn, New York, a former world champion athlete, gymnastics coach, and esteemed author. Dan, welcome to Halo Talks. Thanks, Pete. Good to be here. Great. So uh, through PeacefulWarrior.com, you've uh, created quite a following um, and you've uh, you've had a lot of twists and turns personally and professionally. Uh, so I'd love to uh, have the audience here understand your your background and your path and what they can learn on living a more fulfilling life for, for everything that they want to achieve. Uh, so I'll, I'll turn it over to you. Of course, Pete. Thank you. Um, for those who know my book, Way of the Peaceful Warrior, or one of my other 17 books, um, I probably don't need an introduction, but I'm going to assume most of your listeners aren't familiar with my work. So let me just say, I, I, when I was a young athlete, uh, a gymnast at University of California, I, and also when I was a coach at Stanford University in gymnastics and a college professor after that at Oberlin, I, I was focused on uh, how you can create more talent for sports. And uh, because I believe that talent was about, oh, 80% uh, developed, maybe 20% innate. Certain people have body types for various sports that lend themselves to sports. But I, I asked myself, if it were true that talent could be developed, and by the way, I define talent as the ability to learn something faster, easier, and rise to higher levels, higher potential. I think that's a fair enough definition of talent. And I said, if it could be developed, what, do you, what qualities, what physical qualities do you need to increase your level of talent and learn faster and easier. So it seemed to me that there were four main qualities. Strength, most people understand muscular control, helps us to learn sports, physical movement, and so on. Suppleness or flexibility, most people are familiar with that. Um, stamina, of course. And the, the fourth was sensitivity, which includes variables like coordination, rhythm, timing, balance, reflex speed. So I, I reasoned that when the young athletes came to train with me at Stanford, rather than just working on the moves of gymnastics, the elements, we worked on, for the first year, the foundation of talent. And of course, we all know, uh, and your listeners understand, how to develop more strength, many different methods and techniques, and suppleness and stamina. But sensitivity, it was, uh, you know, how do you develop more coordination, more rhythm, timing, balance? So I gave them exercises to increase their level of talent. Now, my theory didn't work out pretty well in practice. Uh, the Stanford team, uh, when I started, was at the bottom of our conference, the Pacific Eight at the time. And by the time I left three and a half years later, actually four years later, our team was one of the top three teams in the United States. So my theories did work in practice. But I'll tell you, you know, I was going through some personal things during that time as a coach, a young coach, and I realized that being able to do handstands and somersaults and these advanced athletic moves didn't really help me much when I went out on a date. <laughs> you know, those right, moves didn't help me when I got married, had children, dealt with financial challenges and career decisions. Uh, and what we, we deal with in everyday life. So that's when I made a shift. I started asking a different question, not how can we develop talent for sport necessarily, but how can we develop more talent for living? Mm -hmm. for the everyday challenges of everyday life in our career, home, at work. And that led me on a search that was decades long, where I began to study with various mentors, traveled around the world, and it led to an approach to living 
I call the peaceful warrior's way. And, and by the way, it's not my thing. It's all our thing because all of us, uh, it's really about living with a peaceful heart, but understanding in everyday life, there are times we need a warrior's spirit. And so it's really about all of us. So that's, that brings you kind of up to date how I shifted from the coaching realm into uh, the life's bigger picture. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and of course, I've stayed active. Uh, I, I've done many, many different forms of physical exercise. From I started at 10 years old with modern dance uh, and then gymnastics, trampoline, martial arts for 20 years. Um, so I've had a, a variety of uh, uh, different experiences. And it, it's led me, what might be relevant uh, to your listeners, it's led me to an understanding that there is no best system of exercise, no best uh, teacher, no best book, no best path or method or diet. There's only the best for each of us at a given time of our life. What what worked for us five or 10 years ago may not be appropriate now. Life's an experiment. We all have to find out and explore what works best for us. For someone, it may be yoga. For someone else, Pilates. For someone else, various kinds of core strengthening. We all have different needs, different ages. So I think any program that can be tailored, that understands people, that doesn't just teach a subject or a fitness method, but homes in on the individual. What do they need right now? I know doctors do that. Chiropractors do that. Many different coaches. And, you know, I I explored this myself because after I graduated from college for a time, I sold life insurance and I coached at Stanford. Then I was the college professor. Later on, I was a personal fitness coach. One of the first, I mean, this was back in the 19, well, 19, mid seventies. I called my business Rent-A-Coach and I went to people's homes. Now, this has become more common, but mm-hmm. it wasn't then. Um, I almost ended up coaching Steven Spielberg, the director, but I just missed out on that. So the point is, I had to tailor what was each individual's needs and go with that. And, and that seems to me uh, an effective approach rather than uh, just teaching a subject, so to speak. You reach out to the individual. Gotcha. So, so let's just go back to, to assessing the talent. So the strength, flexibility, stamina, and sensitivity, where does, uh, the, the, someone's, uh, innate, uh, or acquired, you know, desire or fire or attitude kind of overlay into that or, or as part of one of those categories? Well, you know, I wrote a book called Body, Mind, Mastery, uh, a rather unusual book because it's the only book I've ever heard of that has come out under four different titles. It was the first book. It was my gift to athletes and anybody training, whether jugglers, martial artists, dancers. It was anybody who physically trains. And uh, it it was called Whole Body Fitness. And later that publisher went out of of print um, and it came back as the warrior athlete and then the inner athlete. And finally, body, mind, mastery. And it talks about not just physical talent, but emotional talent and mental talent. Because anybody who's coached understands that their people are very coordinated, but they're emotionally just out of whack or they're, they can't concentrate. They have too many distractions. So every coach has to deal with the entire individual. They're not like a history professor who just gives assignments to, you know, gives exams and then grades them. Uh, coaches and people who work with people really need to address 
motivation and uh, their uh, mental preparation, uh, concentration levels, their ability to visualize. You know, in fact, there was a pommel horse performer at Stanford, this young guy, he could hit his routine uh, in practice, but every time he went into competition, he got nervous and he ended up flubbing his routine. And one day I was so frustrated, I said, Dennis, that was his name, I said, go sit in the corner. And I want you to visualize going through your routine again mm -hmm. and again. And I wish I could demonstrate this. We don't, we don't have the video here, but um, I looked over and, and he was like going through his routine. I could tell. And then he went, oh, damn. And then, oh, damn, he was even missing his routine in his head. Yeah, that's a problem. So that was part of his problem. So That's one of the interesting things about I was just watching. I don't know if you're a football fan, but I was watching the NFL draft uh, yeah. last night. And, um, you know, these, there, there are all these... Um, variables that are that these coaches and scouts are trying to assess versus just the technical capabilities of a you know when they do that NFL combine sure. it, it's only based on raw talent and raw skills based on those you know whether it's a high jump or whether it's a wingspan I think is one of them now um, you know obviously the 40 yard dash I, I, I would love to be inside of a room where you know, they're, it's basically a job interview, right? I mean, they're, they're saying, okay, what's the best player for my team? Sure. All, all these things. So how have you, or when you were, when you're coaching or when you're, when you're, you know, assisting people now, how do, you know, is there a, besides like a Myers-Briggs or some of these other, you know, questionnaires, how do you kind of get to the root of who that person is and, what their potential deficiencies are. Uh, as an example, I know when I was back in high school basketball, my coach Kowalski used to say, look, you got to visualize that that shot goes in every time, because if you don't visualize that going in, it's definitely not going in. Um, so, so how do you help people get to their, you know, root cause of what's holding them back or change their mindset? Obviously I haven't read all of your books yet, but uh, I think I will after this call since I, since I have some free time on my hands and now working from home. Sure. Well, that's an important topic that you raised, Pete. I'm, I'm glad you did because it must be anybody who's recruiting an athlete. Uh, they know it, it, physical skill alone is not enough. If the mind's distracted, the emotions in turmoil. So there are, there is an approach I take that is a bit different. Now I mentioned to you that talent is 20% innate. In other words, Michael Phelps, what do you have webbed hands or feet or something there? And they're and basketball players. You don't, you know, they can be a hustler, but if they're five foot two, that's going to be a tough road. So we have to look for physical qualities. Uh, I know in the Eastern European countries that like Nadia Comaneci, the famous gymnast, they found her in like elementary school. They looked at her and they had the kids do certain physical tests and they said, okay, she's going to be a gymnast. This one's going to be a swimmer. So they did that. It was very sophisticated. Uh, many, many years ago, they started doing that. Uh, but it's much more difficult unless you really study somebody or talk with their coach to understand what their mindset is like, their ability to visualize, for example. I, in fact, in Body Mind Mastery, I, I cite a study that they had one group of people who were, they were all equal at the ability or inability to shoot from free throw line in basketball. And they had uh, one group practice physically for X amount of time, something like 10 minutes a day, focused on actually shooting X number of tries to, um, to make the free throw shot. They had a second group who just practiced in their head. 
They stood there. They imagined they were doing the shot. They weren't really holding a basketball. They imagined bouncing and visualizing the shot and shooting. And um, then they had a third group, a, a placebo group, just do an unrelated thing, watch television, whatever. And they did find that the group that intensely concentrated, visualized shooting the baskets improved almost as much as the group that physically did it. So that kind of visualization, not the magical new agey, visualize success and you'll be successful, but actually doing visualization, imagining, feeling your body going through the motions. I use that in gymnastics all the time when I was training. So you know, to check out. There, yes, there are psychological tests. You mentioned the MMPI, which is actually not as scientific as it sounds, um, but their uh, coaches look for many different forms of tests. Now, one of my books, uh, it sold over a million copies. It's, it's quite popular. It's called The Life You Were Born to Live. There's also a Life Purpose app, which has all that information in it that's in the book. But The Life You Were Born to Live it has uncanny accuracy, and it's a system, an objective system, not guesswork, where you can start to see what challenges each individual has, and they're different. For someone, it may be a difficulty in understanding process, how you have to be patient and do step by step to reach your goal. For someone else, it's self-doubt. That's the thing that beats them up. Someone else, it's insecurity. Uh, they're overdriven, a need to prove themselves. So this book helps us access this information about other people or ourselves, more important, to have compassion and understanding of them and understanding of ourselves. So I would say that could be a very good tool. I wish I'd known this when I was a young coach, I'll tell you. So for any recruiter, they have to understand how the person's mind works, their attitude. And for that, the best, quickest way is to interview coaches, people who've worked with them before, teammates, if they really do their homework, not just their win-loss records and so on. So that, that's, that's how I would answer that. Now, there are three principles that I've given to athletes. I spoke with the Canadian trampoline team because it's an Olympic sport now. Before they went into competition, we had a little party and I, I gave them these three principles that uh, one is important for any individual to accept their feelings and thoughts, positive or negative, as natural to them in the moment. Mm -hmm. So people have all kinds of thoughts popping into their awareness. People have all kinds of emotions passing through them like the weather. Sometimes they're positive, they're motivated, they're confident, other times not. So to just accept that, you don't have to fix it, change it, worry about it. Because athletes can get so neurotic, they walk around playing visualization tapes and motivational tapes while they're waiting to go up and compete. Right. And, you know, there's, there's a, a saying, Barbara Rasp, a writer, once said, the lesson is simple, the student is complicated. And so we complicate these things, trying to do all these techniques that may or may not work. Some of them are like Dumbo's feather, for those who've <laughs> seen that old movie Dumbo. Um, placebo type things. But if they simply accept their reality in the moment, okay, I'm having these thoughts, these feelings, I don't need to fix them, worry about them. But let, And the second thing is, what is your purpose? Focus on your goal in that moment. And the third is, do whatever it is you need to do in line with your goal. It's very respectful of individual process. Now, that sounds like a bumper sticker wisdom. You know, accept your feelings and thoughts, know your purpose and do what needs to be done. But someone might say, well, how do you do that? 
What if you're feeling self-doubt? What if you're not confident enough? Are you insecure? Let that be. Because the fact is, and this is a fact of reality, Pete, we have more control by our will over our behavior, over what we actually do, than what emotions are passing through us in the moment or what thoughts. We don't have a spam filter in our head to stop certain thoughts. So let's focus on what we have more control over. Our lives are shaped in large part by what we have done in the past and what mm-hmm. we do. And so it's not, it's not putting as much attention in trying to fix our insides and have just the right thoughts and just the right feelings so we can go out and do what we need to do. And I can, give, I can tell a lot of stories, uh, but, but the fact is, you know, we can control our efforts in life. We cannot control the outcomes. No one can guarantee a certain outcome. If they could, I could teach golfers how to one putt every time. Right. You know, uh, even the best basketball players miss sometimes. So the point is we can't control the outcomes, but we can control our efforts by making a good effort over time we vastly increase the odds of getting the outcome which we'd like. Was it Wayne Gretzky or Michael Jordan who said you make 0% of the shots you don't take? Yeah, I think it was, I think it was Gretzky. Yeah, probably Gretzky. So when you think, so let's think about this from a standpoint of uh, uh, I'm a health club operator or I'm a fitness boutique studio and I'm trying to hire uh, my top five people in a new venture. If you were, you know, the recruiting advisor, how would you kind of come to the table and say, look, here's, yeah, you obviously we can assess the raw talent, you know, whether it's a chief marketing officer, whether it's a chief operating officer, you know, we, we've got titles and we've got a job description. How, do, how would you kind of lead someone down a path of saying, here's the right hire and here's why, and here's the raw talent, but here's, you know, what's going through their head. And I, I don't know how much of a science that is, but you know, I just want to throw it out there because people sometimes hire executives or, or new employees and it, they might not have the right filter that they're using to think about, you know, what their team is. I mean, setting up a company is, is putting people towards a common goal through a legal entity and that legal entity then makes decisions and those decisions become the, the, the operating, you know, procedure. So maybe just from a business standpoint, you know, ha, ha, help us think through that. Sure. Um, first of all, I don't have any magic formulas. Nobody does. You know, uh, just to draw a quick analogy, and then I'll get right to your question. Uh, Somerset Mom, a Nobel Prize winning writer, once said there are three essential rules for writing a successful novel. Unfortunately, nobody knows what they are. <laughs> so the point I'm making here is, I mean, if I could tell you that I'd be making, uh, you know, tens of millions of dollars a year, if I could tell executive recruiters in any field um, how to know for sure your hiree, and, and that would be a question for executive recruiters. Now, if someone were going for, I, you know, I think people have informal lists in their mind when they're looking at a possible employee to work in a health club or fitness studio, for example. Um, Did they show up on time? Many times people are very good at interviewing. They can charm people, but it doesn't mean they're in it for the long haul. Uh, Maybe they're waiting for the next opportunity and then they leave. So just because someone is a good interview doesn't make it a slam dunk 
of whether they are the best hiree. Uh, many people probably uh, who hire make these lists. For example, maybe enthusiasm or clarity, how well they communicate, because that's so important, you know, how you teach and interact with other people. Even if you don't know quite as much, there are other people who know a lot about a subject. They know a lot about fitness. They have a background, but something about them isn't real motivating. They're judgmental or whatever. And the interesting thing I've noticed in interviews, people give away. There's tells. There are these, these uh, quirks. They may say something that kind of puts you off that you make a note of. Mm-hmm. Almost self-sabotage sometimes. Their, their subconscious is saying, maybe I'm not right for this job. Mm. So I think it's a largely an intuitive process. Um, but yeah, you can have certain questions to ask, certain litmus tests that, that any club owner, I've never made up a, a list like this. So that, that's my observations on the topic. I remember Moneyball, that movie Moneyball. In sure, sure. You know, he, he had a more of a scientific approach, was counterintuitive. People thought it was a joke until the team started winning. Right. So um, I think it's still in development, and there are people who know more about that particular question than I do, but that's what I could offer. Gotcha. That's appreciated. So we made an investment recently in a company called The Athlete Book, and the goal is to take uh, Division One, Two, II, and Three athletes and help them get jobs with with large companies and the pitch for hiring athletes was these these people have been on an organized team uh if they've been on the team for four years that means they've showed up uh that means if they've got playing time that means they they made the cut and they've got grit they are disciplined you know what else would you add to the list of you know reasons why you should lean towards hiring athletes versus, you know, other potential uh, candidates? I knew a man named Dick Wolf. And Dick went to interview to be a coach at Cal State Fullerton in California. And the athletic director said, well, so were you in the Olympics and gymnastics? And he said, no. He said, well, were you na- what were you a national champion of? He said, I wasn't a national champion. He said, well, where did you compete in gymnastics? He said, I never competed in gymnastics. He said, well, what are you doing here? He said, I'm a really good coach. And Mm -hmm. if you want to hire a competitor, go find a competitor. If you want to coach, consider me. Well, they did hire him on faith. And he was coach of the year, I don't know how many times. Developed an incredible team. So the point I'm making here, uh, roundabout, is that a good athlete is not necessarily a good coach or teacher just because they're skilled at doing the moves. So again, talk to people. That's what I would do. I wouldn't try to just guess and intuit it on my own. I would talk to people who've worked with him. Mm -hmm. Find them. And that will tell much more than just saying, well, let's see, this is their win-loss record. They're a famous athlete. Now, some people like having a famous athlete on board or an accomplished one because they can put it up in their resume or they're writing about their different staff members. And that's their choice. Um, and, and they may be an excellent coach. I was a world champion uh, on the trampoline and a national champion on floor and vaulting and uh, All-American and so on. Uh, that didn't mean I was necessarily a good coach, but it turned out I was because I had the communication abilities. So again, um, that's the best I can offer in terms of any surefire way. There aren't, there aren't any surefire ways. Sometimes you, you, let employees know that you have a probationary period of a month. That should tell you much more. Um, so 
that's what I would tell someone who owned a health club and was looking at personnel. Gotcha. So, you know, given this, uh, this stay at home mandate that we're, uh, we're in for now, at least for another couple of weeks and, you know, this could be longer, um, people have time to do some real soul searching. So could, could you give a little background on, on the life you were born to live and people that you're talking to now, whether that's friends, whether that's colleagues, you know, what kind of self-reflection you're hearing about, you know, uh, people saying, hey, I was exhausted and now I'm actually feeling like I have time to think and yeah. decide what I want to do. And maybe you, you've got a lot of people that could come out of this similar to 9-11 in, in a sense to say, you know what, I want to reset my life and and I'm, I'm in control of that decision. I don't need to go back onto the field and play the same game. Well, I found, you know, I, I shattered my leg in a motorcycle crash. Anybody who's seen the movie based on my book, the movie's called Peaceful Warrior. And um, it's about a young a gymnast. Uh, he meets an old gas station attendant uh, played by Nick Nolte in, in the film. And um, that really happened to me. I did shatter my leg in 40 pieces when I was at the peak of my career. And it was a comeback story because I was able to actually, uh, through a lot of work, uh, come back and we won the NCAA championships as a team. And I helped lead the team in, in that endeavor. And I came back better than I was before, but more skillful. I had a chance. In fact, anybody listening who has had an injury often comes back and they have the phenomenon, wow, my technique's better. It had a chance to really think about it and let it settle in, as you were pointing out, Pete. So... During this, you know, lemons to lemonade kind of uh, period of sheltering in, it is a time to reflect on what's important in life, on our priorities. And there are two books. Uh, one is a smaller book. It's a fairly quick read. It's called The Four Purposes of Life. Um, and just as we divide the points on a compass into four directions and the seasons of, uh, you know, the days of the year into four seasons, by looking at our lives through the lens of these four purposes, which is learning life's lessons. And there's a lot more to that category. Um, the second is finding our career and calling and the difference between the two and what that's about. The third is about finding our life path, which is what I was talking about, referring to the life you were born to live. That's about finding our life path and the individual uh, avenues. And then the, the fourth purpose is maybe the most important, our purpose arising in each moment. My purpose is clear as I'm speaking with you, and so is yours. So uh, the four purposes of life covers a lot in a fairly small book. Now, the life you were born to live, the reason it's been so popular, because it is accurate. And, and let me put it this way. If, if I were to point to a tree outside anywhere, chances are there's not a single tree on the entire planet exactly like that tree in terms of the angle of every branch, leaf, and stem. But we can say things that apply to redwood trees that are different from aspens or birches or oaks. So in that way, even though each of us is a unique individual, there are patterns we follow. And there, it turns out there are 45 different patterns or life paths. And that can reveal a lot about someone. Now, anybody who reads The Life You Were Born to Live and tries to use it as a template for whether or not to hire somebody, it's not designed for that purpose. Because there are people on every life path who are successful in every field. It's about how they approach the field. 
what weaknesses they may have, hurdles to overcome, but also what innate strengths they have. Certain people have more charisma than others. Certain people um, have higher vision and standards. So the book does reveal these things. So that's if someone wanted to do some reading and introspection during this period, I'd recommend the four purposes of life and uh, the life you were born to live. And I'm pretty, pretty damn sure that nobody's going to be disappointed with either book when they look into it. So, and again, that's why they've done extremely well in the, in the marketplace. Well, well I'm going to, I'm going to take you up on that. So you'll, you'll see two downloads on, on audiobooks by the time we're, uh, we're off this, this podcast. So, so as you talk to people and coach people and they say to you, you know, Dan, I, I, I wish I did this or I should have done, or I could have, you know, start using those words. Um, and I'm, I'm assuming that, that, that some of that's in the book. And I usually tell people when they hire integrity square, our firm, you know, I say, look, the, you know, experience is what you get when you don't get what you want. So let me tell you about some of the experiences that were positive And let me tell you the ones that were negative and, you know, life is a movie and, you know, you want to live this movie. Here's the path you can go down or, you know, maybe take my advice of, of how, you know, certain situations ended and, and determine if that's the likely outcome. So how do you look at, you know, somebody's resume or some of their past experiences? I, I think Bill Gates was one who said, you know, I want to hire people that have failed before. Because it comes with a level of humility, a level of understanding, um, and that's experience that's valuable. Not sure if that's a question, maybe an open-ended commentary for you to opine on. Well, sure. I appreciate the, the commentary, too. Uh, well, in, in general, we do know this. You know, sometimes I ask audiences when I'm speaking to a group, uh, please raise your hand if you've ever experienced physical, emotional, or mental pain in your life. <laughs> of course, all the hands go up. And, you know, it's, it's fine to disagree because if we agree on everything, only one of us is necessary. But I say, I hope you can agree on this, that that adversity that you went through, that difficulty, that challenge, that bump in the road, wouldn't you say you're a little bit stronger now? Maybe a little bit wiser, you have a different perspective, and maybe even more compassionate. Um, and, and most people raise their hand. So in that sense, adversity is... Uh, always has hidden gifts. Even the period we're going through right now as we speak, the world is experiencing this. And we can make use of that because uh, daily life is kind of a form of spiritual weightlifting. You don't lift any weights, you don't get any stronger. So any challenge put before us, we don't have to pretend to like them, but we have to keep that thread of attention that we will get a little stronger, a little wiser, and to make good use of that time. So yes, uh, we look, I failed 50 times a day in the gym. To me, that was just part of the process. You right. fail, fail, fail until you finally succeed. When I was 60 years old, I wanted to do something different, something special. And I decided to learn to ride a unicycle. And uh, a friend of mine loaned me his unicycle, told me to go to a tennis court early in the morning before anyone was there and because I, I had a nice level surface and hold on to the chain link fence. I got a death grip on the fence trying to sit on this unicycle. Anybody who's tried it, it's really humbling, I'll tell you. And to uh, make this story short, you know, all, all I did was fail. I mean, it went out from under me, it went out from under me. Mm -hmm. uh, but after three weeks, after three weeks of failing, I could ride figure eights around the court on this unicycle. And I learned two things from that process. 
One was everything is difficult until it becomes easy. And the second thing I learned was there are days, there are times where if everything seems to fall apart, I was worse than I was four days before that instead of continuing to improve. But I, then I noticed that after those so-called bad days, I usually had a breakthrough the next day or two. Mm-hmm. Because that's when the learning was happening on those so-called bad days. It was going from the front brain to the back brain, so to speak. From uh, like learning to drive a gear shift car, you have to think about it a lot until it's automatic. And that's how skill training happens. So uh, that, that's, that was a useful thing in relationships. We can hit a crisis point, but if we work through it and continue, we can break through to new levels of intimacy in sports in ideas and brainstorming, if we just work on it, and then we have, we, then we don't know what we're doing. Everything's confusing, but if we keep at it, problem solving, we have breakthroughs. So it's about persisting, of course. That's what the method is. That's what the whole idea behind it is. Uh, and every every athlete, anybody who's uh, done striving in the fitness area knows this: that you have low points, but if you persist with it, you break through to a new level. Marie, let me, yeah, go ahead. Let, let me just change gears for one minute because you made me think about something. Um, when I when I was in ninth grade, I was the captain of the uh, of the basketball team, and my coach, Coach K, used to yell at me all the time. Mm-hmm. And I th- thought I was doing exactly what he wanted me to do, and he just kept yelling at me. And I went up to him after practice one day, and I said, "Hey man, why do you keep yelling at me? Like I'm doing everything that I that, that I'm required to do, and you know how the play is supposed to be." Uh, run and he looks me in the eye and he says, Pete, if I don't yell at you, that means I don't think you're going to be better. And I'm going to, I'm going to devote my time to making you better. And part of it is putting more pressure on you and making sure that I can make you achieve more than what you can achieve right now. Do you see a paradigm shift in, you know, youth soccer where they don't keep score, you know, everyone plays and it's more recreational than it is competitive, does any of that concern you, or do you feel like we've just kind of reached a, a, a different, uh, you know, stage of evolution in, you know, helping people get to the next level? I think college football and NFL, I'd say, after I watch like School of Hard Knocks or something like, they're obviously on top of people. But you know, I just wonder if, you know, when I when I teach my nephew how to play basketball, and I, you know, I get get a little loud with them, I, I you know, I use that phrase. And, and, and I think he gets it that I want to make them better. So how, how have you kind of seen a paradigm shift or do you think that that still goes on and we're, we're getting people to their top potential? I think it still goes on personally, Pete, uh, in different forms. Um, it's not, I mean, we all know that the archetypal drill sergeant who's, who really cares about the men he trains or the women he trains or she trains, and they're really hard on them. I mean, we know about drill sergeants, right? Uh, and some coaches are more like that. They're really tough. But what they're doing is they're not, they're not, uh, they're treating people as having the potential to be great. And they're not going to give them any slack. Right. Most of us can look back on teachers we've had in school. Some of the most, the, the most strict teachers and most demanding were the ones we remember years later because they were treating us as the people we were capable of becoming. Yep. So, yeah, I thought that that coach, what he told you, was really a good thing. He was reframing it. I don't, I don't yell at you just to put you down. I'm yelling at you because I expect more from you. And people tend to rise to our level of expectations. 
Uh, and you know, it's important for many of us to understand that criticism is always a form of caring. It may mm-hmm. not look like it. It may not sound like it. That's if, great. If someone didn't criticize you, I mean, if they didn't care at all, why would they bother criticizing you? So they're giving you their full attention and giving you some passion. So even if it's not very sophisticated criticism, even if it's not understanding, compassionate, um, you know, I, I like those people who are spirited and really honest because they're paying attention. We right. count them. We matter. So to me, I, I think that still works. Yeah, great. So, so in closing here, because um, we're going to fast track this this podcast up on the network. So, I got the four purposes of life. I've got the life you were born to live. I want to just uh, give our audience uh, some background on where they could uh, pick up these these books and audio books and and start to better their their existence here as we uh, are in halftime. Sure, the four purposes of life is available: audio, Kindle, digital, print. Uh, everywhere. The Life You Were Born to Live is such a massive reference work uh, because it has all 45 life paths and some other interesting information that it's not an audio. I should tell you that, but it's on Kindle. There's a Life Purpose app you can get for Android or iPhones, iOS, you know, iTunes Store, whatever. So anywhere books are sold, online, wherever, um, it's easy to find all my books. And or they can just go to peacefulwarrior.com uh, look up books, and they'll see all the books with a description. That's another approach to take. I think we've got we've got uh, yes. In, in closing here, we usually ask people for quotes, but I think we've filled up our our quote quota. Um, <laughs> so I really appreciate uh, getting the opportunity to talk to you. I think what you're doing is uh, is amazing work, and uh, I'm glad we were able to uh, cross paths here because I think I'm going to do some self reflection and. Uh, read through these books and, and, and come out even stronger uh, from this. So welcome to the Halo Sector and I uh, hope we meet in person. And uh, if I see any guy in Brooklyn with a unicycle, I'm, I'm going to try and tackle you <laughs> and tell you who I am. Good speaking with you, Pete. And best to you too. All right. Pleasure. Thanks, Dan. Bye-bye. Bye.